1: Hey everybody, this is Tom. It's Van Life. Tom Green's Van Life. Cool, new name for the the podcast. And uh, why do we have a new name? Well, because I'm in a van. Of course, I've been in a van for the last little while. Uh, But I was thinking, you know, hey, if I'm in a van and I'm doing the podcast and I'm traveling around the country in a van, maybe we should mention that in the title. Uh, So we've changed the name of the show. And I actually am... going to be doing a little bit of uh, a different type of thing here now. Uh, Want to start talking a little bit more about what it's like living in a van, what it's like traveling the country during a The pandemic and exploring national parks and and beautiful deserts and wilderness areas and mountains uh, by yourself with your dog. Uh, I'll be, of course, uh, continuing to have some great interviews like today on the show. We've got a great interview today that was actually recorded a a couple of weeks ago with uh, the incredible John Kastner from uh, the punk rock legendary bands like uh, the Asexuals, the Doughboys. Uh, and more all systems go and more and more and more but uh it's super cool uh to be talking to john john is a friend of mine and um we've gotten to know each other really well over the last few years and uh, he is also somebody that loves camping he loves getting outdoors uh, with his family and uh he's uh uh, really uh, uh, got a lot of great stories to tell about traveling in vans because uh, he, of course, has been traveling and touring uh, since a teenager, a young teenager, in a van in his punk rock band, The Asexual. So he knows a little bit about, about van life. Uh, but before uh, I bring John on and and uh, and talk to John, and we have that great interview. I want to just tell you a little bit about what I'm doing. Right now, I'm in the Cabiza Prieta Wilderness Area. I'm looking out the door right now at an at empty desert. There's probably nobody around for at least, I don't know, 10, 15 miles from here. I've driven way out into the middle of nowhere. And if you listen closely, you're actually you can't really hear it right now. But we may get lucky and hear an A-10 uh, a warthog flyover because we're right here on the edge of the uh, Barry F. Goldwater uh, Air Force artillery and military bombing range. Uh, and they've been flying over throughout the last week while I've been out here uh, dropping bombs and firing their cannons. <coughs> the cannon sounds like <coughs> that's what it sounds like. Uh, and it's amazing. And you hear it over in the other valley. They're not actually out there right now, so I don't know if we're going to hear them, but uh, take my word for it and Google it. Barry F. Goldwater uh, test range. In fact, I had to assign uh, an online waiver with the U.S. military just to come here uh, because uh, there is unexploded ordinance that uh, may be out in the desert. Uh, Due to years of dropping bombs uh, on the desert here until, uh, I believe, sometime around 1973 when they took this large section of the bombing range and turned it into a wilderness area. Which is uh, home to the pronghorn sheep and it is home to mountain lion and bobcat and a rare species of bat and all sorts of incredible cactuses. In fact, uh, we're in one of the largest uh, seguro cactus uh, forests in the world uh, here in this part of Arizona, right along the Mexican border. Actually, when you drive in to Cabeza Prieta, there is some very foreboding signs that you pass. Uh, they say, caution, uh, this area is uh, known for illegal drug smuggling, and illegal immigration activity, please proceed with caution and do not travel alone. And so, of course, I, I, I'm taking that very seriously and I'm traveling with my dog, Charlie. So hopefully uh, that's OK. But everyone knows I'm here. I've been here for about a week and uh, I'm probably going to pick up and uh, and move on to the next location tomorrow. If you've been following along with van life on YouTube, uh, thank you. If you haven't, go subscribe to my YouTube channel because that's sort of going to be the visual component to this podcast. Go to uh, tomgreen.com slash or youtube.com slash green rather, uh, which is my YouTube channel. Or you can just go to my website, tomgreen.com, and click on the videos there, and that will bring you to the YouTube channel. Hit subscribe, it's totally free. I'm traveling with. Uh, A pretty robust uh, camera and audio and uh, video rig that I'm uh, putting my broadcasting uh, college uh, diploma to use and all the all the video that I've done over the years. This last year, I've really been investing a lot of my time and energy into really perfecting uh, my craft as a cinematographer And also as a uh, recording artist uh, and and engineer, I have a Pro Tools set up in in the studio here in the van, and uh, I'm recording some country songs and some rap songs and some fun stuff, some of which I've played here on this podcast. Got a new song that I'll be be, uh, debuting soon. Uh, But today, uh, we're going to not listen to my uh, goofy music. Instead, we're going to kick off the show. Listening to uh, some music by uh, John Kastner, and uh, then we 'll have a great interview with him but before before we do that, I just want to say a little bit more about how this is going okay i 've got this great van it 's so cool it The van is state of the art I got it from this company Boho vans. check them out online and they helped me set this thing up It has a battery system. Uh, with these cool battle-borne batteries, they're called. And they're in all the vans and all the sailboats, but they've really come up with some new technology that allows the solar panels on the roof to charge the batteries and give me essentially constant power so I can run this recording studio in the middle of nowhere. Like, we're totally off-grid, and it's amazing. And every night, I take a walk with Charlie, way out into the desert, all alone, with my camera, And I am just getting all of these beautiful images, and I have to say it's been an incredible and unique experience, something that I would have never done had we not found ourselves in the midst of a global pandemic. In the last decade or so, as you know, I've been touring the world doing stand-up, and I haven't had time to, to fuck off in a van and travel around and... I feel very fortunate uh, that right now uh, I am uh, lucky enough to do this, and I could see myself uh, doing this permanently, and I actually am going to be doing this permanently after uh, after this pandemic winds down. Hopefully that that happens in the near future. A plan to take this podcast, Van Life podcast on the road, uh, going into next year the rest of this year and the year after and taking the van on my stand-up comedy tour. So just know that this whole adventure is not a fly by night thing. That's going to be given up upon as soon as things return to normal. This is, this is going to be a fun new adventure that we're going to be able to share together here with audio up who is supporting this podcast and, uh, and uh, producing this podcast with me. And I, I thank everybody at audio up for being so cool uh, and uh, listen to their other podcasts. They've got a lot of other great podcasts as well. So um, that's what's going on. But I I just I want to I want to try to just kind of uh, sort of just dive into this moment for a second and let you just know how it feels to be out here. okay, all alone, sometimes at night. All alone out here. I'll find myself in a desert area. In the middle of nowhere. A place that I've found on the internet. Somewhere I've never been. And I'll pull into this camping area. All alone. No one for miles. Just the sound of the wind and the desert and the birds. And uh, as the sun starts to go down, I'll tell you... It's a bit scary sometimes, actually. Um, you know, I, I love it, but I tell you, it really is a unique thing to be out here all alone uh, in nature. And I grew up doing this. I grew not not in a van, but I, 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 did, I, did, I did travel Canada in a van in the early years of the Tom Green Show. So van life's not a new thing for me uh, back in the 90s the early 90s, traveled all over Canada in a Ford Econoline van. Uh, and uh, much like a band would go on tour, like we'll talk about with John today, uh, my friends and I, we took off in this van and went and filmed videos. And here we are, we've gone full circle and I'm doing it again. But there's, there's something different about this this because here I am all alone and exploring the southwestern United States right now where it's warm. And that's why I'm here in Cabiza Prieta, you know, huddled up to the Mexican border of Arizona because it's warm here. Um, you know, the last few weeks I was in New Mexico. Actually, when I recorded the, the John Kastner interview, I was still in New Mexico, the one that we're going to cut to in a moment, but uh, it was just a couple of weeks ago. And it was freezing up there. I would wake up in the morning and the water in Charlie's dog bowl, which I left outside, would be frozen, solid, ice. And I said, you know what? I think i got to drive south now. I think I have to head south. So that's the thing about van life. you got to follow the weather. And uh, that's what I'm doing. And as this seri- series progresses, uh, not only will I ha- continue to have great artists and musicians and actors and comedians and celebrities on the show and people who have uh, the interest in van life and outdoors, but I'm also going to start having lots of uh, people who are just really immersed in this world of van lifers and Instagrammers and uh, outdoorsmen and fishermen and hunters and people that have, have really spent a, a great deal of their life outdoors. And I want to talk about all that we have in this country that we can forget about, really, if we're not Really focused on thinking about it We can forget about the fact That we are always just a couple of hours Drive away from some of the most beautiful Natural settings In the world and we're very lucky here In North America In America uh, To go see some of this stuff And of course my home and native land Canada Where after this uh, After this uh, winter uh, Ends I'm going to be driving My van this studio up through Canada and taking you all on some amazing adventures up there. So please subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to, uh, to uh, my YouTube channel and follow me on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, interact with me. Let me know that you're listening to this show and please tell your friends to listen as well. So that's this morning's uh, introduction and uh or today's introduction you know you, you, you can watch this. this happens to be morning now but you can obviously listen to this at any time of day because it's a podcast hello so um thank you i love you all thanks for being here appreciate you supporting uh this podcast tom green's van life let everyone know and uh let's listen to some music by john Kastner and then we'll be back with john John. Hey. How are you How's doing? How's Tom? I'm doing good. I'm good. I'm, I'm alive. I'm still alive nice. out here.
2: <laughs> How is it? Uh, where are you, in New Mexico?
1: Yes. Thank you for checking in on me. I appreciate it. It's, yeah. Uh,
2: of course. Making sure you didn't
1: get eaten by a bear. You've been watching all the videos? Of course. We talk. Lucy watch them every day. Yeah, Bluesy, uh, your son Bluesy is my new biggest fan, watching and devouring all the yeah. early episodes of the Tom Green Show.
2: Yeah, your new son. What's we that, talk every day. What's that like when you're?
1: How old is Bluesy now exactly? How old is Bluesy now? He's five. Five years old. Yeah. And when you, when yeah. when a five year old is watching, the Tom Green Show, what mm-hmm. what does that do to his to his brain?
2: Well, it makes them laugh uncontrollably. I mean, you know, sometimes when you have to try and explain, let's say, the slutmobile... Yeah, let's, you have let's... to take some. You have to. You have to take some uh, some liberties and maybe <laughs> <laughs> trim it down a bit. You didn't. You didn't.
1: You didn't let him watch that one, did you?
2: <laughs> of course. Oh, one of the first ones we watched
1: Oh, okay. Wow. Jeez. Uh,
2: yeah, but we just said uh, that you had painted a naked lady on the side of of your dad's car.
1: Right. Well, that's exactly what what we did. Right. That's exactly so what is. we did. Yes. Thanks so much for calling, John. I I appreciate you calling. Two naked ladies. Yeah, two naked ladies. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and and I appreciate appreciate you checking in on me, uh, you know, over the last few months as I'm traveling around, because you you and I often have some late-night conversations. I mean, I'm here in New Mexico now, not too far from a a town called uh, Aztec, New Mexico, and I've been traveling around the uh, entire state, actually, going to ghost towns and... uh, beautiful Native uh, American ruins, the Chaco Canyon ruins and all of this. But it's nice. Sometimes I'll be alone in the van with Charlie. I'll crack open a beer. Uh, or maybe I'll have a shot of whiskey. And uh, and it's nice to hear uh, hear from you. But now we're actually recording. Yeah. We're recording the conversation now.
2: I know. How about that? I want we're listening in on our personal conversations.
1: Yeah. What was the song that we opened the show with? Kickback. Kickback. Tell me the history of that song. First of all, I've already introduced you to everybody. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's exciting to have you here because do mm-hmm. you do a lot of interviews these days? Have you been doing a lot of interviews? No.
2: Yeah. No. I kind of I stopped doing uh, press or any kind of stuff like that because, as you know, I stopped uh, making rock and roll records and started managing other people that make rock and roll records. So there's not, you know, it's like I don't need to be talking about myself. Um, But, but, you know, every once in a while, I did do one, um, maybe a year ago, I did a podcast that people were excited about. I got lots of people asking me questions about things I had talked about. But, um, you know, I try and keep it about the people I work for and not about myself at this point in my life. Although, I have to say, I've... uh, kind of started to get the bug to start making some rock music again. So me and Sean Friesen, uh, the guitar player from the Asexuals, have started writing some songs. Wow. And are, uh, are, we'll see what happens. Are you know, we, maybe we'll make another Asexuals record for the first time since the 80s.
1: Am I breaking news here? <laughs> are we breaking news on my podcast right now? <laughs> I, I guess
2: we are, yeah.
1: Wow. This is amazing. Yeah. So uh, just just for our, uh, our our viewers who... May not be familiar with the asexuals you were a, a young lad when you started uh this punk rock band up in Montreal back in the eighties. How old were you fifteen years yeah. old when you started that younger? yeah
2: fourteen fifteen yeah. you know mm-hmm. we started going on tour when we were sixteen. um We were high school kids still, and you know we would um you know take a few weeks off and get in the van and drive south to the states and play rock music. Mostly in VH, VFW halls to kids with green mohawks so um, if, it was really a good time
1: if you 're fifteen well, did mm-hmm. someone in the band have their driver 's license, or how did you
2: I guess we were sixteen it yeah. was we did have a, an older friend of ours too Randy Boyd, who was a bit older that would drive, but I guess we were sixteen because uh, we all had driver 's licenses, but just freshly new canadian driver 's licenses. Mm-hmm. And back then, Canadian driver's license, remember, we didn't have a picture on it. It was just a flimsy piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> remember that? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you could, you could
1: get away with anything back there in the 80s, right?
2: Remember? I know. It was like we had, we had a flimsy piece of paper for a driver's license, and then we had a Medicare card, mm-hmm. which was just another brown card with a sunrise on it, but no pictures or anything back then.
1: Right, right. Yeah, you used to use your health card to get into bars. I remember that. You'd have yeah. like, yeah. So, but so you're 16 years old and you're you're touring, and I mean, were your parents okay with that?
2: You know, I think that they realized pretty early on that like, that, you know, this is what this kid's going to do, and we can either fight him on it or we can support him on it, and they just chose to support me on it. So, uh, you know, they let us go. Um, we started touring. I guess we were. In grade 10, grade 11, and then right, you know, in high school ends in Canada at grade 11, right? Mm-hmm. And then we yeah. go to CGEP. Yeah. So um, instead of going to CJEP, I got in the van and went on tour and basically didn't come home until I was in my 40s. That's, of course, a <laughs> so
1: CGEP, of course, is a Quebec thing, though, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, is it a Quebec thing? It's a yeah. Quebec thing.
1: Yeah. Montreal. Yeah. You're from Montreal, yeah. I guess. Is, is From
2: Montreal, yeah. Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So Just down the road from where you're from. Yeah,
1: yeah 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 we used to i used to go down to Montreal all the time just to we used to go to the peel pub
2: yeah to say they'd, the serve, pub, they'd serve they'd serve beer, to, beer or, to us yeah or <laughs> to try and sneak into the the peel the peeler pubs
3: mm, which mm-hmm. is
2: very very popular in Montreal Montreal is, is um, well known for that as well yeah yeah so, it was never really my thing you know like i like i remember seeing places where um, come have free roast beef and watch naked lady. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: Mm, yummy. Mm. Um, so yeah. so okay. So I mean, there's so much to talk about. Uh, first of all, I mean, I, I, I love the fact that because you know when I was a you know I, I, I my band never had the success that your band had, but we when I when I was a teenager we. We had a record deal. I was 16 years old. We were trying to make music, and it was exciting. And my parents let our parents let us go down to New York to record. But we never went on a full-on tour. I mean, what's that like being on tour with a punk rock band when you're 16 years old in the United States? I mean, what cities did you go to? Was it just—I mean, obviously in the 80s, uh, the punk we- rock scene was completely— insane right it was a you're playing punk clubs everyone's going nuts people have mohawks they're wearing 22 hole doc martin boots you're
2: afraid people
1: are scary when you look at them they're scary (laughs) well we
2: weren't really that scared you know quite honestly and we were super excited i mean we would usually start our tours um in a little place called the anthrax Mm -hmm. in connecticut It's a very famous punk club. I'm sure people that are listening to this will be like, Oh God damn it. The anthrax. Nice. And it was like in the original anthrax was in a basement. And I remember playing there once with DOA and the guys from DOA were so tall. They had to like crunch down to actually play. Yeah. Yeah. And then we would always go from there and we would do those, um, hardcore matinees at CBGB's, And, you know, we did that lots of times. Um, wow. You know, I do remember the first time we ever, we went there, we, uh, we were, play- we were playing at CBGBs, and we walked in, and first person we saw was Hilly, which is the guy who owned the place. Yeah, and uh, he had heard about us from from uh, Johnny Stiff, which was like a New York guy that helped a lot of punk bands. And you know, Hilly kind of said, "You know, you look. You can tell we were nervous. We we're playing CBGBs. We we're young."
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And he's like, "You know," he said to us, "Just whatever you do, watch your gear. Watch your gear." <laughs> we're like, "Okay, that's making us feel much better." Right. So we got up, we played, and it was like it was a hardcore matinee. So they were always full. It was like was like adrenaline OD and seventy six percent uncertain and all those bands. And I remember there was this guy at the side of the stage, just like tough looking skinhead, and all all of us were like, "That's the dude that's gonna rip us off." Like that's (laughs) the dude that's gonna rip us off. Yeah. And then we finished playing, and. As soon as we finished playing, we like we're nervously gathering up our gear, and I see the, the skinhead guys coming right towards me. And he, he puts out his hand, and, he's, and he goes, Hi, my name is Vinny from Agnostic Front. You want some help loading your gear? Oh, nice. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> you, you were then we took our gear. Yeah. You were probably big fans of theirs. We took our gear. Yeah, yeah. you, we, we yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, you know, it was, it was the time, you know. And So we took our gear, and we put it all in one of those backs, dark CBGB's dressing rooms and we were all in the back sitting on our gear sweating, like thinking, wow, it's so cool. We, uh, we just played CBGB's. It's so fucking awesome. And this dude pops his head and he says, dangerous drugs of various kinds. (laughs) That's all he says to us. (laughs) (laughs) So being, you know, the dumb 16 year old kids we were, we ended up buying acid off of them that were on sugar cubes.
1: Nice. Okay. And,
2: uh, I remember he, uh, we were six, and he only had five, so he said, well, let me go make another one, <laughs> which should have been a sign. <laughs> was, there, was, was
1: there a, a, a sort of a, a coin toss to see who got the fresh one? I don't know. Is it, is it better I when it's—is is acid better when it's <laughs> I fresh? I don't know. I've, I've don't, never done, I've don't never don't done acid, so. actually. Can you believe that, John? I've never done acid. Yeah, that is, is it, crazy. What Did is a lot th- of acid growing up in Montreal. What is the feeling that you get when you do acid— uh, that's CBT. Mm,
2: well, I think that, you know, doing acid now as an adult would be very difficult because mm-hmm. I think all the stuff that you worry about would just come burning back into your head and it'd probably wreck your trip. But back then you didn't have a lot of worries. Right. So, you know, it was just more like trying to not freak out. And, you know, you'd usually laugh so hard that your jaw hurts the next day. And then after about six or eight hours, your stomach would start to hurt from, I guess, some strychnine or something they would put in it. Okay. But, okay. Uh, yeah. Anyway. i they even... both my parents have passed on, just in case you would have listened to this. <laughs> right.
1: Maybe we shouldn't have <laughs> let them go on tour, is what, they, what they'd be saying. Yeah. They must have been very proud of your success.
2: Well, it took a, it took a lot of years. You know, it wasn't until... Um, the Doughboys started to get popular, and kids would camp out in front of my parents' house. And then they started to realize, oh, something's going on here, you know. The, the Doughboys come by and weave stuff for us to to sign. Yeah, and they knew
1: the Doughboys yeah. was massive, right? Was that the biggest thing? Or you've been in several bands. You've been in several bands, but that was the. I remember that that you know when I I, I must. T- I don't. I don't know how old you were when you were in the Doughboys, but I was in high school, and we used to. You know, your music was big for for yeah. us because we were skateboarders, and uh, and and it was it was amazing. Was, yeah, we was that was, we had
2: a thing? You know, I mean, like from, you know, I started the Doughboys right after we I had had a fight with the asexuals guy, so it was 1987, um, and uh, and you know, then the Doughboys went until about. Um, 96 I think you know Mm -hmm. Um, and then after that I had All Systems Go with the guys from Big Drill Car after the Doughboys I basically I moved to Los Angeles and started a band called All Systems Go with Big Drill Car, Mark and Frank who were my good friends and and a band that I loved And, uh, and you know we made a few laps around the world with that band before I hung up my docks and said you know (laughs) <laughs> I've got some children. Maybe it's just a better idea to stay home a bit more now.
1: <laughs> Hung up my docks. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. what's that feeling like when your record's, you know, blowing up the charts and everybody's talking about the Doughboys? And, I mean, I mean, is that just well, sort of the... A- it
2: was a funny time back then, you know, because cause we had MTV and much music. And so... It was a whole thing when you started to do popular. When you started to be popular, like you were recognizable, because they played the hell out of your videos. Mm-hmm. So that's that was a real change, you know. I mean, but in the you know with asexuals and like hardcore punk days, and then for the first few years of the Doughboys, there was never really a chance that we were going to ever be on TV or we were ever going to get popular or sell records. And then um, it all kind of came around to us, and then you know we all we used to tour Europe with the Doughboys and there's an agency called Paperclip and they had like 15 bands and we all used to tour together, but those 15 bands were kind of changed music. It was, you know, the Lemonheads, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Soul Asylum. It was all the bands that went on and signed record deals and went on to sell lots of records. And we were like the Canadian version of that in there. So, you know, we had been touring Europe with all of those bands for a long time and then one by one, everybody started to sign big record deals and started to sell lots of records. And you know, we kind of rode that same wave with all of those guys. You know, um, and it was it was great. It was it was kind of unbelievable because, like I say, we never ever thought that we were going to have a chance to ever be signed to a major label and let alone sell records and be on TV. And then it all just kind of happened. You know. Yeah. So it was fun.
3: Oh, yeah,
2: it was man. it was a good time. You know. What, yeah. what what are some of the
1: bands that you loved that inspired you to make music when you were a kid? Because I know you were a huge fan of music at a very young age.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. You know, um, I mean, it was I kind of I remember the earliest memories I really have was like Casey and the Sunshine Band, stuff like that. But then I discovered Kiss really early, like, mm-hmm. like age nine or ten. And then Kiss kind of changed everything. And, I mean, there is a whole generation of guys my age that all are kind of from the Kiss generation, you know. And it, it was then it was Kiss and Aerosmith and Rush and Cheap Trick. And, you know, I used to go to every show at the Forum, every single one. It didn't even matter. And now I look back at some of those and I'm like, I can't believe I went, I, you know, like I saw Frank Zappa in Joe's Garage. I wasn't really into Frank Zappa, but it was a show that was coming, you know, to see it. And I went and now I look back and I'm like, that's pretty fucking cool. I saw that, you know. So when, punk- or like Gary yeah. Newman's Cars, yeah.
1: Sorry, yeah. I love that song. It's in Freddie Got Fingered. Cars. Yeah, dun, 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 love that song. <laughs> when, when you, when you first heard punk rock, though, like what was the first mm-hmm. punk song? Was it the Sex Pistols or was it? Uh,
2: some- yeah. In fact, it was. So I had an older guy that lived across the street from me. His name was Chris Rollard. Know whatever happened to him, um, and he had some friends. Uh, they we call they were they, they were born in sixty two, so we used to call them the sixty two ers. We were all born in sixty six, mm-hmm. and the sixty two ers were a little older than us. I'm and I'm so I'm Chris Rollard. I'm yep. seventy.
1: I'm seventy one. I don't want to rub
2: it in, but uh. you're seventy one, or Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but so the the sixty two ers used to jam across the street at Chris Rollard's and they had to started to listen to punk rock and and funny enough it was Scott McCullough who was the first guitar player in the Bill Boys that went on to play guitar and Rusty and he um you know Scott was like this guy that just always knew good music and we all kind of looked up to Scott in fact Scott had played it in one version of the asexuals because before we were called the asexuals when i was a kid we were called uh, we were called first Dead Dog and then the VD Teens um, and then uh, Johnny Jew and the Holocaust. He was a Jewish <laughs> guy. My parents loved that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then from Johnny Jew and the Holocaust to the Asexuals, but in in somewhere in there, Scott did play guitar for one summer with Asexuals. And then, um, but anyway, he was, he, I remember they were listening to the Sex Pistols and that's kind of how we first heard them. And we started to hear a little bit about the Sex Pistols and Iggy Pop and the Ramones and Cream Magazine. And then, you know, we went to Rock Scene and Hit Parader and then it all just kind of flooded in. And I ended up, you know, getting rid of all of my rock records. And and next thing I knew I was this punk kid, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how it all started. You know, I remember I used to sit under the picnic, the, the ping pong table at, with with the sixty tours when they were they would play music, and I would sit under the table, unplugging and plugging in the lights to give them a light show. I was like a lighting guy.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Was yeah, it was yeah, it God. is it the
1: danger of punk rock that attracted you? Is it was it the non conventional sort of uh, writing? Yeah, and, uh, what, think, what what is it? I
2: think it was just like it gave us something of our own. You know, like. In high school with asexuals, there there wasn't there there was no punk guys in my high school, with Beaconsfield High School, except for the guys in my band, you know, and and Richard and Monk and Al Ghulam and and then the band. So we were like, you know, eight guys. and We were the punk guys in amongst, you know, a lot of jocks. Yeah. Um, But it gave us something of our own. Yeah. You know? and and we just loved the music it was aggressive i mean i remember when i first heard the sex pistols never mind the bloackers i remember thinking god these guys play so fast it's so fast and now you go back and listen to that record and it it's like it sounds like classic rock speed almost <laughs> yeah. it's definitely not fast you know everything Um,
1: kind of like kind of builds upon itself i guess right like you know they're playing fast oh we got to play faster we got to play crazier is that kind of what happens or
2: yeah yeah and then bands started playing faster you know there's bands like jfa and and dri and that's kind of when i remember like the real fast stuff i mean we went from like british punk rock to kind of british hardcore you know all of a sudden we were listening to GBH and the UK subs and uh, Anti Pasty and Kronjen and all those bands, um, you know. And then, and then I guess when it was when we heard California punk rock, is when it, you know when I heard the Circle Jerks, that's mm-hmm. when things started to really speed up.
1: Yeah. You know? Did you ha- did you get it in yeah. your head when you were listening to the Circle Jerks and listening to California punk rock that someday I want to move to California?
2: because um, I mean, you have I, right. You live. You live. You live. California you live, seems. Yeah, you live here seems in Los so Angeles. Far and... away. Yeah. You know. Don't yeah. you think? I mean. Sure. For me, where me and you grew up, like, California was just something we saw on TV that looked beautiful. I mean, I you know, being an East Coaster in Montreal, or uh, you know, I used to go to Florida with my parents because my grandparents had a place in Florida. Yeah, of course we they would did. Drive They're to a, Florida. You're, of course they did. You're a Quebecois, uh, right? So. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You know, and it was
2: just like. <laughs> I could just sit outside and just stare at the palm trees in the sky. It was just so incredible to yeah. me, you know? Just we in Quebec, um, O.C. And then, O.C., yeah. Wait, just we in And then, you know, the first time I came to California was on tour with the asexuals. Yeah. That was the very first time we came out here. It was We came out here because we had met this band called Youth Brigade, um, the Stern Brothers. We played with them in Montreal, and then they came back, and we played Montreal, Toronto. And by then, I was just kind of a little kid that would... You know, I, I had a phone in my room and I would gather up all these numbers from the scene reports in the back of Maxim Rock and Roll. And I just started booking tours myself.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: they went from, you know, five shows to three weeks to a month. And next thing you know, we were doing, you know, we'd come to the States for three months,
3: yeah, you
2: know, and just trade telephone cards and, you know, play VFW halls and hook up with other bands. And it was a much different time. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to be a young punk kid like that now trying to do it. You know, I mean, gas is so expensive. Things seem more dangerous, although I don't think they were. Um, they are, I mean, New York back in the early eighties, it was a pretty fucking dangerous place. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I was a carefree kid, so I didn't really notice, but uh-huh. I think back about it now and I'm like, Jesus. Yeah. That, 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 you know, CBGB's down in the Bowery, that was you know, the early eighties. That wasn't a good place to hang out, you know? Yeah. yeah. Do they still have, is there still punk rock? Is there? Yeah. I mean, it's been splintered, you know? I mean, I think punk rock now has become more uh, more of an attitude because it's just, you know, it's just splintered into so many different kinds of music. But I think there is still punk rock. You know, there is some people really keeping it alive. Like, like my friends in Youth Brigade of Stern Brothers, they do punk rock bowling in Vegas, and that's punk rock. Yeah. You know, it's it's for a guy it's amazing for a guy like me because it has a lot of new bands which I want to see that I don't might not get out to see and it has all the old bands that I loved when I was a kid. You know, and some of them like, you know, maybe I never got a chance to see them and I get to see them now 40 years later. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's fucking
2: crazy, really. But you know, guys like that, they're keeping they're keeping it alive, I think, you know. There's another one in Blackpool in the U.K., a big punk fest. And there is still punk rock, you know, but there's different kinds. There's kind of the poppy, kitty punk rock. There's the crusty punk rock. You know, there's all different kinds. It's not like I kind of felt like punk rock back then. It was all, you know, new wave was like everybody looked at us and we were just one thing punk rock, even if you were a new wave or whatever. Now it's just it's a million different things.
1: There was something about going to the record store and going to Mm -hmm. the punk rock section, and Mm -hmm. flipping through the punk rock, I would also go to the rap section, Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, we didn't have the internet, right, so there was internet, but there wasn't Mm -hmm. really music on the internet, or video on the internet, so... uh, Yeah,
2: there was no internet when we were kids. Early
1: days of, you know, BBSs and stuff, but... You know, that was that was the Internet. Punk rock was the Internet. Yeah. That was the, the, mm-hmm. the dark recesses of the Internet where you go read or mm. see or watch things that you're not supposed to see before the Internet. That was punk rock. That was rap music. That was alternative music yeah. that didn't exist, that wasn't playing on the radio on the top 10 at 10, and you'd hear people saying yeah. things in the lyrics that you'd never heard anywhere. You know, Huey Lewis doesn't say that, you know? Um, oh, yeah. No,
2: you know, that? I remember, like, on that, yeah. The metallic KO, the Iggy Pop record, where he says "one two fuck you bitch" when he opens that song, right? And I remember, we used to sit in the basement and just play that over and over, right? Like, Check this out, <laughs> right? You couldn't believe
1: you were hearing a swear war, a word committed to yeah. tape, right? It's like Eddie Murphy, know, yeah. Eddie Murphy, and, and, delirious. Yeah. You know, you're playing that that tape yeah. over and over again. It's almost like the internet yeah. ruined everything.
2: Well, it did, kind of a little bit. I mean, that's why you know we had there was a. a a magazine called Maximum Rock and Roll. And that was kind of our Bible in the early 80s. I mean, because they had these things called the scene report. And it was different punk rock scenes. And they would, you know, they would have like, you know, 10 different scene reports in every issue. And that's how I booked tours, because they would print the little kid, you know, the the 18-year-old kid that was doing punk shows in the VFW hall or in the park or whatever. You know, that's how it all kind of started for us. You know, and that kind of was the Internet for us. It was reading those kind of magazines.
1: Maybe we should get rid of the Internet. Is there a way we can write yeah. a letter to somebody and and suggest that we get rid of the Internet?
2: That, that's, that's an idea. Yeah. Maybe we sink it somewhere. Maybe we, we get Trump to hold on to it and throw it in the ocean.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't know, if we got rid of the internet, I don't know how people would be listening to this podcast, but I know maybe we'd be, no, on, some, maybe we'd be on some yeah. UHF radio station, some, some UHF uh, yeah. pir- pirate pump up the volume signal or something.
2: Yeah, or it would be like, you know, what was big then was college radio. Right? Yeah, exactly. And they would, so mm. like a college radio would, would say, would, you know, dedicate half an hour to their show, to the Tom Green show, you know, so they would, and they would get sent through the mail. They would get a, a, a cassette of the Tom Green show that they would spin once a month on their radio, you know, college radio was big back then. Oh, and yeah. It was like, you know, you could really, I mean, that's, we survived. I mean, that's, that was, that's, that was how we heard music was college radio, you know? And, it wasn't until Nirvana came along and, and, you know, my band for part of it that kind of killed College Radio because that was the point where College Radio and FM Radio was starting to play the same thing. Right. You know, and then all of a sudden College Radio didn't really matter anymore because FM Radio was playing those same bands. And that's kind of where College Radio kind of fell apart, wow. you know. Yeah. Yeah. I I worked at uh,
1: CHUO 89.1 FM in Ottawa Mm -hmm. from high school for many years. I was did my sort of was the early catalyst of the of of the TV show was me doing a midnight till 2 a.m. show on Friday nights. And and Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's where I heard you guys. And that's where I listened to all the all the music. I'd go dig through all the records there and all the alternative and uh, hip hop groups would send all their the record company would send all the music to the college radio station and we'd hear everything, you know, we'd yeah. hear everything that nobody yeah. else and heard.
2: Yeah. And then, and then, and what I'd go through and tour in those places, we would always stop at those college radio stations and do interviews, all of them, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it was really what got my bands going was college radio and it, you know, it was in Canada, but then it was really popular in the States, you know, it was like, bands like R.E.M. kind of got their career, you know, and it really helped us a lot. And we would do all the college radio stations all the time. And it wasn't until, you know, the the beginning of the 90s where all of a sudden everybody was playing the same thing and college radio just kind of went away. It's never, I mean, you know, a lot of the college radio stations, they were so good that they got FM licenses and became big stations. Um, and I'm sure that there probably is a few you know, around North America, which are still, you know, broadcast, you know, 10 miles around the college or whatever, but it ain't what, it isn't what it it was. That's for sure.
1: When you, uh, when you came to LA, you've, you've, uh, sort of transitioned into managing and uh running a mm-hmm. record company and uh distribution mm-hmm. company and uh, doing soundtracks yeah. and all sorts of things and you've worked yeah y- working with uh s- some amazing bands you work with you work with iggy pop right and men without hats and uh all sorts of uh yeah. incredible artists i mean
2: yeah yeah i mean with iggy i just i've I, I programmed some festivals over the last 15 years. I've been programming some, you know, fairly large festivals. And I've been lucky enough uh, to book Iggy. And um, so I've got to know him, you know. And I did a movie with him uh, about 10 years ago called Suck. It was a really great vampire movie okay. um, that we <laughs> shot in Toronto. And I, uh, I did all the music for it. And it was a great movie. And it had, you know, I mean, Malcolm McDowell and... My wife, Jessica Paré, or my girlfriend, I guess we're not married. Yeah. Sorry, Jess. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, and then a lot of punks like Henry Rollins and Iggy Pop and Alex Lyson from Rush and Moby. And it was full of musicians. And it's actually, it's a super fun movie. It's a, its kind of become a bit of a cult classic, yeah. underground cult classic. You can see it on you can you can rent it on any of the, the DSP services, whether it be Apple or ever. It's an easy movie to see, but it's called Suck. Definitely your, worth checking out. Your I wife, all the music your it.
1: wife, all your the partner uh, is an incredible. Yeah. Jessica Paré is an incredible actress. She's uh, you know known yep. from Mad Men, of course, and uh, mm-hmm. all sorts of amazing mm-hmm. films and television. And
2: uh, how did you two mm-hmm. meet? We met doing that movie Suck. Mm-hmm. She was the lead actress in it, and I was the guy. Uh, I I did all the music. I I, I wrote the music for the bands and I scored it. Um, and Sorry, you, actually, did, you, you didn't I just say that, did you? Just, <laughs> like, yeah,
1: that you you met on you met on set though, right? Did you not met before? Because you're both you're both from. She's from Montreal too, right?
2: Yeah, we're both from Quebec. And yeah, yeah, she was living here. I was living here, and I got a call from the director to help her uh, to teach her how to play bass. Because mm-hmm. um, she was, she's she plays as a bass, girl, bass player in the movie, and that's kind of how we met. Was uh, was that through that movie?
1: That's so cool. So that's
2: so yeah. cool.
1: And, and long and, time ago now. Yeah, you, uh, okay. you, 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 you guys loving it here in Los Angeles. You're, you, you run. You, you. Tell me a little bit about about. Uh, Cobraside and what you're doing now with Men Without Hats and all the bands you're working with.
2: Well, yeah, I do. uh, I'm one of the owners in Cobraside, which is a one-stop record distributor, so I put vinyl and CDs and everything in all the record stores throughout North America. Um, And then, yeah, I manage a bunch of great bands, you know, from the Lemonheads and I work with The Replacements and Tommy Stinson and uh, just a long list of great bands. Yeah. New bands like Soft Kill and uh, The Death Sets and we have a great roster of bands and it's I love it, you know. Um, I don't have to be on tour anymore. You know, I did spend a good 25 years making records and touring and had a great run. Um, but, you know, now I have kids and I manage all these bands and take care of them and I, I, I really like it. You know, I, I like Los Angeles. I, I just... The dark gray weather of eastern Canada is is just not for me. I, <laughs> I don't like it. It it mentally fucks me up. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So, um I just uh, I don't like it. So, you don't miss I mean, a nice and I, I like it here
1: Crisp autumn day, you know, with the leaves changing in, in in Quebec.
2: Yeah. I do, but you know, I can drive up to Idlewild and still see that here.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah you know, look, I love eastern Canada. I love Quebec. I think Montreal is one of the greatest cities in the world, and I've been lucky enough to travel all over the world um and I love Montreal. It stands right up there with every every great city in the world you know um but you know i i i it' run its course for me. I left uh twenty two years ago now I've been in Los Angeles you know and um i I love it here i it's beautiful and i got a great life and yeah i'm quite happy here
1: can i ask you about your hair john yeah
2: about your, 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 you know
1: but that? your <laughs> your your fabulous dreadlocks right this <laughs> this was this was yeah. uh you know you you're known for your dreadlocks uh mm-hmm. this is this yeah. is a real commitment though i don't i've never asked you about this personally yeah. but i figure since we're on the radio i'll ask you about it it's not the radio, yeah. but whatever the hell this is. Um, you know, like, yeah. uh, like, what was it that inspired you to get dre- to to do dreads? Uh, was it uh, was it Bob Marley? Was well, it was it uh, no. another punk
2: I've band? This, uh, I've had this uh, hmm. I've had this bad lid for a long time, and it, mostly what it was it's, was because I was you know I was a punk rock guy with curly hair, and uh-huh. I couldn't have spiky hair when I when I tried to kind of stick my hair up it looked like i had a rubik's cube on top oh of i see i see um um so eventually I, I i just uh it was my friend william new in toronto i think he was the one that he's like he had dreadlocks he was the only other guy in canada the white guy that had dreadlocks. so he kind of like tied my hair in and it kind of it stuck i mean i've had dreadlocks since 1987 yeah it's a long fucking time you know um but, uh, you know, it was it, basically that's where it stemmed from, is I couldn't have cool punk hair because my hair was curly. And so I went with the dreadlocks. And, you know, back in the 80s, there was not a lot of white dudes with dreadlocks. Yeah. And, shout out, and shout out thanks, to Adam Ludica. Thankfully there wasn't. Shout
1: out to Adam Ludica yeah. from Punch Buggy, though. He, he had dreadlocks, too, my, my yeah. good friend. And he's a
2: huge... huge yeah, I mean, people, people used to say that, uh, that I looked like Perry Farrell. Yeah. He was kind of the only other white dude in the kind of rock scene back in the '80s that had dreadlocks.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And but the, but then you you committed to it though, because here we are, how many years later, and you're still rocking the dreads. I know,
2: I know, I'm long—like 35 years, maybe, or something. It was a long time, you know. At this point, I don't, I don't even know what my hair looks like. It's been so long, and you know, my kids would be upset if I cut it. Yeah, they they like me having dreadlocks and. You- you know, I say to them sometimes, um, you know, when I pick you up at school, does it make you want to get me to park around the corner because your dad looks a bit like a fucking freak? <laughs> <laughs> and they're, they're like, no, no, we like, we like it. Yeah, I yeah. Rather the- they had a dad that looked like a freak.
1: You're the cool you know. dad. Plus, we're in L.A. You know, people can handle it.
3: You
2: know, it's not. Yeah, like- but <laughs> I have to say, I mean, there was a while there where. You know, all of a sudden, white guys with dreads really became a thing. And, and people kind of blamed me there for a while because <laughs> there's still a stigma about it. It's like people roll their eyes. They're like, oh, shit, a fucking white dude with dreads. That's what the world needs. Another one of them. <laughs> and it was a thing where where there was a lot of them. And I had caught in a lot of slack for it. But, you know, I got through it. It kind of seemed like it went away. Now the only other white dudes with dreads you see mostly are kind of dirty hippies yeah
1: yeah <laughs> under an overpass somewhere
2: yeah, yeah.
1: so <laughs> not to not to make light of something that's horrible that's going on right now, but in this city yeah this city yeah, is it, there is there is a some some tragedy in this city right now, not to bring the mood down right Look, at the I think end the of the
2: city is the city has always has a there's always been a bit of tragedy i mean what you know the fact that they closed down the Hollywood sign from people going up close to the Hollywood sign because too many people were committing suicide off of the Hollywood sign.
3: Wow.
2: That's why they had closed the road down. I mean, that kind of speaks volumes about this city and the tragedy of it. You yeah. know, I mean, it, it's, a, it's an amazing place where a lot of very creative people come, but you know, there's a large amount of them where it doesn't end up well and it doesn't, it just is not a pleasant you know and so there is a lot of dark shit here um, yeah. but you know I, I used to say that you know the thing about Los Angeles is that there's so much of everything that sometimes it could hard to be excited about anything you know yeah um, but I love that about it yeah
1: you know well, it's been it's it's been great, you know, getting to become super close friends with you over the last several years, John. I appreciate it, you know, appreciate your friendship yeah, so too. much. I mean, we've we've had some good yeah. times and uh we'll have many more yeah. and uh I appreciate you being yeah. there for me as a friend when I'm out here on the road in my van, you know, looking around, going what of the hell's course. going on. And, yeah. Of
2: course, and you know, we'll take some more trips like uh like that trip when you went to St. Martin. That uh, was Something
1: else. That was a good time. That was a good time. Me and yeah. Bluesy in Saint that
2: was Martin. A fun time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when we were with the guy. What was that guy? Your friend? From? Oh yeah, my, f- my friend Ivan Barry. Dream Berry. Warriors.
1: I'm Barry. Ivan yeah. Barry. Yeah. Yeah, Dream Warriors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When are Seems we like getting back? Night, when are we getting back to Saint Martin? Oh my gosh. Hopefully, hopefully, know. hopefully I mean, this year. Hopefully this year.
2: You know, the world used to seem small compared to now, you know, now that we can't travel and we can't do anything, it just seems so much bigger and unattainable to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you take all that away, it's just like I look at China and it seems so far away, you know, and I've been there before, as you have, you know, going on tour there and it didn't seem like that big a deal, you know, I used to do my my every year I go to a festival in Korea to MUCON for six years in a row. I every September. Now I think about that, and it, it. Although it was nothing for me to get on a plane and wake up in Korea, now it just seems fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Actually, I will say that you know? you know I'm out here in my van right now, and essentially mm-hmm. I'm camping. And I will I will say that you yeah. were actually uh, you know uh, in, in in many ways an inspiration for for this because you you do quite a bit of camping yourself with your family, right? Mm-hmm. And you would you were yeah, going I mean, you were going up to the Inyo National Forest and. Camping yeah. and doing all these things, and yeah. I was thinking, geez, that sounds pretty fun. I I I know how to camp. I know how to make a campfire. Yeah. I know how to fish. I know how to get out in the woods, and and this might be a good way yeah, for me to get like out this and-
2: summer. You know, yeah. I would talk to you about it because I was camping with the family, and you were very into the idea, but we couldn't do it together because of this COVID crap. Yeah, and you know, and quite honestly, that's I mean, I've all you know, growing up in Eastern Canada, I grew up camping and you know, running through the woods, and I haven't done a lot of that since I've lived in Los Angeles. And uh, so, you know, this summer, since we couldn't go anywhere, we couldn't go back to Canada like we normally would or couldn't do anything we normally would, we basically started going camping a lot. And uh, I would talk to you all the time because, you know, we're very close friends and tell you about my camping trips. And you'd be like, oh, that sounds like fun. And then you one-upped it. You got a camper and now you're a man out on the road living in your camper van seeing the world
1: I got my dog Check charlie named after yeah. travels with charlie from steinbeck yeah which i had not yeah. read that book actually i told my dad i was like i'm gonna get a van and i'm getting a dog and he said oh like travels with charlie i said what 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 yeah the steinbeck steinbeck and so I've named the van Rocinante, which is what uh, yeah. Steinbeck named his van. It was P- Steinbeck painted as uh, Rocinante, uh, which is mm-hmm. Don Quixote's horse. Okay, we're getting really down mm-hmm. into the weeds here, but he painted that on his van in Spanish script. So I have it painted on my van in Spanish script. It's actually a decal, but it's still on there, and it looks like it's painted. And Charlie is. Uh, same spelling, and we're traveling around, and yeah. my new dog is great, and we're having a great time. And I was at Shiprock yesterday, you know, it's this incredible yeah. rock formation. So, you know, I get online, and I go, you know, and, 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 you know, sometimes I'll be talking. I was actually talking to you when I pulled up to Shiprock. Remember, I was saying, I'm
3: going to you this place. To-
2: yeah, I was talking to you, like, I was on uh, FaceTime with you yeah. as you were driving up to Shiprock. Rock. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. you- like, we could see it in the horizon, and then uh, and then you pulled up, and I remember you saying, I can't believe there's nobody here. Yeah. I'm all by myself at this giant—I remember that big wall. You kept showing me this big wall.
1: Yeah, a giant lava wall. Shiprock.
2: You can go look at what we're talking yeah. about
1: on my YouTube channel on youtube.com slash Tom Green. You're on Instagram, and mm-hmm. you're on all of these things. Mm-hmm.
2: What, what What is it, John Castner
1: mm-hmm. on Instagram, or— Yeah. Yeah, yeah John, Castner. John
2: Castner. John Castner is a picture of me playing rock guitar with some ripped jeans. Yeah. Not not hard to find. That's amazing. Um and uh yeah, I mean I, I'm enjoying uh watching your travels. Your your movies are amazing. And uh, you know, I get to get a little bit more because we talk almost every day. So if we're not talking with you by fire at night then I'm <laughs> sitting on the phone as you're driving up to Shiprock.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's an amazing place. Very very, Shiprock is a very uh, legendary place in in Native American legend. You know, the, mm-hmm. there's a legend about sh- it. First of all, it's very f- very familiar when you look at it. Um, it actually turns out it, it was. Remember, we were talking about is it an Airwolf? It was the base in Airwolf. I found out since yeah that where the helicopter yeah. landed. It's also in Avengers. It's in in Transformers. It's in the Lone Ranger. Mm-hmm. It's in so mm-hmm. many films, and it's very iconic. But uh, it's a religious, uh, we've got a religious uh, sacred significance to the Navajo people, mm-hmm. and and uh, yeah. you know they have all sorts of legends of uh, there was a giant uh, th- bird, like a I don't know if it was a pterodactyl or some sort of a thunderbird that lived on top of this th- thing, and it would swoop down. And this was passed down through oral history, through generations uh-huh. of Native Americans who had passed down these stories of there was this giant bird that would swoop down and and, and eat human flesh until uh, 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 some twins actually snuck up and killed it, you know, and that was the end of it. But I almost wonder if it's true. You know, maybe there was really a giant bird that was eating humans out there. It really feels possible when you're standing there. It really looks like there could have been. It looks like the kind of place a giant human flesh-eating bird would live when you look at that place.
2: <laughs> John, did, uh, didn't you get chased away by the cops there for a second when you pulled up or did you not have any problems was uh it, it no, fine, no was it, nope,
1: i was fine there no i've got no? i've had no problems yeah. i was you know i i was uh i was pulling up and and then i thought oh let me learn a little bit more about this place and i looked it up on Wikip- mm-hmm. wikipedia and it said oh this is sacred uh you can't you can't drive up to it and i sort of realized oh okay i'll just stay here by the highway so so and i i like mm-hmm. to respect uh the rules, and, and especially up on the Navajo Nation, it's a beautiful country, mm-hmm. uh, but you know and you can't fly your drone there as well, uh, so out of respect to mm-hmm. the rules, I did not, so I, I, you know that people are, why aren't you flying your drone up to land on the top of shipwreck? Well, because I'm uh, following the rules because I'm yeah. a rule yeah. abiding, abiding Canadian citizen. citizen.
2: yeah John, you've got to respect, uh, you respect the, uh, the natives too you
1: know. Absolutely. Give you the credit. There's yeah. an en- there's an energy up there. It's it's very beautiful and and I, I love it. And uh, yeah yeah I'll be I'll be head, heading or uh, throughout the state soon. And I think I'm going to start driving south though, man, because the the water yeah. the water in Charlie's dog bowl this morning was frozen solid. Okay, when I woke mm-hmm. up. So. That's a sign to drive south. Time up. to time to drive south. Maybe head down to Texas or something, yeah. or, or southern Arizona, Good idea. or something. John, we're going to play Good another idea. song. You've sent me some songs to play. What what song are we going to play? Uh, and I want to thank uh, you. Thank you for calling in, John Kastner. Everybody, uh, uh, buy some vinyl from Cobra Side. Is a website for Co- Cobra yeah. Side? Yeah, there is. What's um, what? it's it a yeah, CobraSide dot
2: yeah, well, we're not really open to the public because we sell to the stores. Oh, I see. But we uh, sometimes we do do these Saturday afternoon barbecues where we open to the public, but obviously we've not been doing that during these COVID times. Um, but, you know, I think more than anything is just to support your local record store because they need it now more than ever. And, you know, and so do the musicians because, you know, we've been taken for a ride with all the streaming crap. That they keep telling us is necessary, and they're promoting us. But you know, buy the actual vinyl because it really helps everybody. Yeah. It's a much nicer form of listening to music, anyway.
1: Absolutely, so. and you can also go watch John uh, on YouTube. Your videos are on there. The Doughboys, the oh yeah, the Asexuals, yeah. All Systems Go, all up there on YouTube. Yeah. Go watch that, John. Thank you so much yeah. for calling into my podcast. I appreciate it.
2: Of course, Tom, and uh, let's talk later.
1: <laughs> thank you john Kastner, and thank you to all of you for listening let's listen to another song by john Kastner. this is a song uh, that he did with blue rodeo specifically jim cuddy from blue rodeo the song is called it's all too familiar